Jazz, the other thing is that it's not self. Um, it's, it's not just because I'm a caring, sharing kind of guy. It's actually quite selfish. In in uh, in um in without being a nasty person about it, I don't want to treat people who are a pain in the ass. And if we haven't got a connection at appointment two or appointment three, well, I'm cool with cutting all losses at that point because I don't want to have to get to appointment ten and find out. Welcome to the Protrusive Dental Podcast, the forward-thinking podcast for dental professionals. Join us as we discuss hot topics in dentistry, clinical tips, continuing education, and adding value to your life and career. With your host, Jazz Gulati. How do you like to present your treatment plans? And I mean that like in terms of your body language and your verbal communication and your written communication. Do you just say, hey, you're gonna need three appointments and it's a crown and a splint and that's it? Or do you like to take a, a screenshot of their chart uh, and you print the appointment schedules uh, with the, and the fees there? Or do you like to just present verbally and, and that's it? Or do you like to invite them back for a second visit? We can show them all the photos and present them all the options and they walk away with 78 pages of a plan. Now, none of these options are, are wrong or right. It really depends on your workflow, but I really want to tap into Zach Kara's workflow because he is someone I admire so much. I do believe he has mastered the art of treatment plan presentation because he spent so much time focusing on this one element. And of course, he is a massive fan favorite. So, Protrusive Dental Community, I still don't have a better name for you yet. Uh, welcome to episode 48 of the Protrusive Dental Podcast. I've got Zach Kara on today who, 38 episodes ago, so episode 10, he came on and wow, like his episode was so popular. Uh, that's like an, almost like a, a gateway drug for the rest of the podcast. Like once you listen to his, you get you get hooked. That's how good and that's how big of an impact it had. And for a long time, it was second in terms of the most listened to episode just behind restorability with a restorative consultant. But then of course, over time, it's actually became the number one spot until of course Jason Smithson come and came along and we talked about onlays and vertipreps and then Jason just blew everyone else out of the water. So that's that, but hey, Zach is a massive fan favorite. You may have heard me mention his name so many times before and I'm so stoked to share the episode we recorded in lockdown actually with you all today. As you would expect uh, with, a, with an episode about treatment plan presentation where you talk about how to present your fees, when to present your fees, the different ways to do it. Do you, I mean, I like to sometimes give my patients a ballpark figure for phase two and phase three, whereas Zach didn't like going down there too much. And it was just an interesting variation and in how some of the different subtle differences that we all adopt. Uh, and I picked up loads of takeaway points from this episode. A quick shout out for those of you listening from Texas in the USA and West Midlands in the UK. For some reason, you two places in the USA and UK are almost like pockets of super spreaders of the Protrusive Dental Podcast and a lot of my listeners come from there geographically. It's very interesting. So uh, shout out to Texas and the West Midlands. Community, you're in a bit of luck. I've got two Protrusive Dental Pearls to share with you today. Uh, one is quite a relevant one to do with treatment plan presentation and I'll tell you that in a moment. And the other one is some very good news I have to share with you as well as a fantastic clinical pearl I'm going to give you. So the first pearl is uh, an ebook that I've shared on the Protrusive Dental Community Facebook group. Just search that on Facebook if you're not part of it already. Uh, and it's an ebook. And it's an ebook by someone called uh, Dr. George Cardoso, who has almost become like a friend of mine now. I've been uh, chatting to him quite a bit. He's actually next week's guest on the podcast. His ebook is titled 16 Steps to Get More Treatment Plans Accepted Today. And oh my goodness, it's full of absolute gems. So I want you to check that out. Almost like 
something, it will prepare you for next week's episode. And I think you'll get more value from next week's episode if you read that ebook. It's just brilliant. He's the founder of Make Me Clear, which is an online platform to be able to generate really beautiful looking, but very educational in a patient-friendly way treatment plan reports and letters for your patients. And of course, it ties in very nicely with today's episode. It's just one way of presenting it. So do check out uh, the ebook on treatment plan acceptance on the Protrusive Dental Community Facebook group. And I'll also add it on protrusive.co.uk forward slash treatment presentation. So it's all there for you in the show notes. The second protrusive dental pearl I have to share with you is the clinical one. And it's also tied in with some really good news. Um, The podcast has a sponsor. So I want to say a massive thank you to Mini Smile Makeover and Enlightened Smiles for sponsoring protrusive dental podcast. This means uh, so much. And uh, for those of you who know Payman Langrudi, he's actually a fan of the podcast and he's got a great podcast himself called Dental Leaders, where you go one-on-one with different leaders and they interview them and their journeys. I've really enjoyed listening to those episodes, so check that out. But really um, a massive thank you for the sponsors because without this sponsorship, I cannot grow and add on uh, different uh, softwares and and, and equipment to really enhance the experience for all the listeners. So uh, it's an interesting way of sponsoring because the the chat that I had with Payman Langrudi who is head of uh, Enlightened Smiles and Mini Smile Makeover uh, and I found out he's a fan of the podcast and then he approached me and I said this sounds great uh, and I said um, as a sponsee would do I said hey um, what do you want me to say um, how do you want me to pitch it and the most beautiful conversation happened Payman said to me Jazz I'm a fan of the podcast I trust you you already came to the Mini Smile Makeover course last year uh, and you already use Enlighten. Just, I trust you, just carry on. So never before has a sponsor allowed a sponsee, sponsee to be so expressive. So uh, thank you not only for the sponsorship at MSM and Enlightened Smiles, but thank you for letting me do it in this way where I get to share with the listeners what I like and uh, something I'm, I genuinely believe in. So let me share with you guys a really cool instrument that I, I bought from Cosmodent. So if you're in the US, you can get it from Cosmodent. If you're in the UK, you can get it from Enlightened Smiles website. It's called the Casey. C-A-S-I instrument. Now, the reason I love this one so much and I first learned about it uh, at the Mini Smile uh, Makeover course, which I went to in London about almost a year ago now, uh, and it's it's just fantastic because I'm not a massive fan of of buying these instrument kits because what happens with these non-stick instrument kits is you have only one or two instruments that you'll probably end up using and then the rest of the seven or eight instruments go to waste, right? So one thing that actually Payman spoke about over a year ago at that course was that he likes to buy one instrument and maybe buy two or three of those of that one instrument because it's the one he uses all the time. Now, I'm still someone who uses just a micro brush and a probe for his posterior composites. That's all I use, right? But for anterior composites, I like some good instruments. And this Casey has just been uh, amazing. I, I, I like this, I like the shape of it. I'll tell you why, okay? The one side, okay, is really good to actually um, adapt composite on, like veneer it on. So allow it to just flat pack it on. But it's got a lovely curve to it, which means that instead of using my finger, which I sometimes do, I use my glove finger as a, as a palatal matrix. I know some of you are vomiting in your mouth, I, I apologize, but uh, this is a better way of doing it than my glove finger, because it's got this lovely contour so you can use it to sort of um, make your freehand palatal stent for an incisor. Uh, and the other instrument, so it's a two-in-one, the other side of it is just perfect. It's like an IPCL with a curve, and it's just uh, it's flexible, 
and it's just so perfectly shaped to shape the interproximal contours and get your line angles in. So I know that for anterior composites, it's just the one instrument I need. So uh, check out In Lighter Smiles or Cosmodent if you're in the US. If you want to get the, the KC instrument, the one I have is a 3C, which is suitable for central incisors and canines. I didn't buy the lateral incisor one because I just feel I can use this or a flat plastic, to be frank and honest with you. Uh, but it's, it's a great instrument. So thank you so much once again to MSM and Enlightened Smiles for, for, for the sponsorship. And I'll uh, put a link to that um, instrument, which I like to use. So something that I enjoy, not something that they're pushing. Uh, and that'll be on the website. So I hope you guys enjoy the podcast episode with Zach Cara and I'll catch you in the outro. Zach Cara, hey, welcome again to the Protrusive Dental Podcast. Uh, you are a fan favorite. Uh, has if unlikely 100% you're, you're 12 listens away so I don't know if you saw last year the most listened to episode was um, Oz Alani was it? And and I keep checking in again like you know how far you are because you were second mm. uh, and, and you you're now 12 listened I should actually you you're, you're 12 listens away am I really from being, from being what number one you're 12 listens away. Okay, that's from last year. Jason Smithson came along and just literally blew, blew, <laughs> blew the competition away. Uh, of course he did. Yeah, as you do. As you, if hey, Smithson, I'm no Smithson. Do I don't Mate. do this. I'm not hard skills. I'm soft skills. Just <laughs> Well, that's exactly why I had you on. Out of the 20-odd episodes I've done so far, you're, you, you, mean, you listen to the podcast. You must have yeah. heard your name. You must have, your ears must have been burning around. Just like, literally, 18, I'm out running. <laughs> I'm out running with you in my ears. And it's always like, Zach, I'm like, what? Why? I mean, I mean, I appreciate it. I'm really honoured. I'm really honoured that people would, would listen. And, and, you know, I've had some really lovely feedback. So thank you if you've you've messaged Zara and a few others, in, even in recent times. And some of the students I used to teach in uh, at Portsmouth, um, King's students who were coming down on outreach, quite a lot of people just comment and say, oh, I wondered if it was you. And then it became obvious as the podcast went on kind of thing. So, yeah, I'm honoured that people would, um, would, would take kind of my opinion um, uh, in the, with the gravitas that they do with the with the no, it's hundred percent deserved. Honestly, that, that that impact. So, if you haven't listened to that episode, uh, please do listen to. It. I think it's about episode ten. I think uh, in the series. That's a great lot. So many communication gems in there, and that's exactly why I brought you back to talk about something that is very dear to your heart. Something that you've worked on, and I know it's something. This is, this is something that we should all be working on, and that's how we communicate to patients, but specifically we can talk about for hours on that. So what can we fill an episode with for now is presenting to patients. Love to. And do you know what? This is This is definitely an, uh, something that's close to my heart. And the reason why, I probably give a bit of backstory. One of the reasons why this came up, um, do you remember literally last week? By the way, should we give the context of the fact that we're three weeks into lockdown right now recording this? We're three weeks into lockdown. I'm wearing scrubs. Which is, I'm here with a Jimi Hendrix t-shirt, although Jazz just told me we were doing a video recording of this so we can do a video cast or pod, whatever you techno people call it. Um, so I went to put some hair waxing because I was like, I've literally got out of bed hair and it was like a bit here and a bit, anyway, whatever. So yeah, I'm looking a bit rough. I, I, didn't, I forgot to tell you about that, sorry. That's all right, no more worries. You're the one who has to get up every morning and, and sort your bog out. So. That's it. But can I just say, the, the, the benefit of wearing the scrub for me is, is this, so... A week into lockdown and I was really struggling to get my work mode on. So I thought, okay, you know, dress for the occasion. Okay. Yeah. And that has really helped me to actually just crack on. It has. 
Do you know what I? Um, I can see that. I can. I can. Exp- I can. I can sense. Do you know, one of the things that's happening in my life is everything's just blurring into one. And uh, but it does. This um, this limbo period just feels like that period between Christmas and New Year's, doesn't it? Where you're just not sure what time of day it is. And, and just, the mad thing about it is, without going too much into rest mode. We are, I think, all sensing a bit more about what we, what our bodies really want to do, and how our minds work best. And mm-hmm. you know, I, I do naturally. I'm, I've always been a night owl. I remember back in my Sheffield student days as an undergrad, always doing my revision at 10 p.m. when everybody else has gone to bed. I used to have a, a mug which had the Guardian logo on it, and the Guardian mug, which was the triple size mug. It was a mug <laughs> times three in terms of volume, and it, I used to take it upstairs like a bowl, and I used to sit there with it, and I used to be drinking my coffee all night, and yeah, yeah. be up till yeah ridiculous o'clock, and not get up. I, till I, I was the same. Me, me, and my friend Clifton used to do all nighters. Uh, uh, at the IC really? but um, one thing that has changed me is not only the baby coming along that really changes your sleeping patterns but uh, yeah. I, I read the book uh, Why We Sleep have you have you read that one? Yeah actually yeah I, yeah, I haven't read all of it I got about two chapters in and I was like whoa I'm gonna die uh, so, so I'm not, I'm not gonna lie I, I, um, I veered onto other bits at the time yeah, but you've loved it have you? So far I'm about halfway through and it, you know it just rings it home doesn't it you know the importance of sleep and how we are all depriving ourselves and this lockdown period is an opportunity for most people to to catch up and i've been enjoying the odd nap here and there which is very unlike me but you know it's it's our opportunity for our bodies to heal you're right challenge always brings brings new avenues and talking of new avenues now people who want to when we whenever the day comes that beautiful day comes when we can see patients again we can be, you know, what you've been doing with Tubules Live Aid as well is basically gearing people up so that we can go back re-energized, refreshed, full of knowledge, full of new skills, soft skills. So the soft skill I want to really pick your brain on is presenting to patients. And I, I knew that this was something close to your heart a few years ago when you'd sent me a recommendation. This must have been two years ago now to read that book by Barry Polanski, mm-hmm. The Art of Case Presentation. Yep. Tell us about that book and tell us about has that had a major influence on you and what else has had an influence in in the way that you present to patients before That's we then come on to question. it. I, you know, I'm a firm believer that we're all a patchwork quilt. We're, we're all a patchwork quilt of where we've come from, um, wh- who we've been influenced by, sometimes some of the systems that you've just happened to have fallen into. Like, for example, you know, you end up in a dental practice a couple of years out of university, you're surrounded by some colleagues who do things in a certain way, and you begin to believe that that is the way to do it. And no matter how much training you had beforehand, which let's be really honest, as undergraduates, very few of us were lucky to have tutors who really got this and did it, I would say, in a world-class way. Um, but really at the time, you're kind of flustered by the whole kind of, you know, that thing that you do as a dental um, undergrad on a clinic. You, you feel like you're riding a unicycle that's on fire and the world is on fire and and you you have to chase the dental nurse who thinks that you're the worst thing since God knows what. You know, so you... Good old days. Yeah, exactly. You remember those days? And uh, so dental school is very much about just having basic hard skills and you don't know what you don't know. So um, the Barry Polanski thing came from a great author, by the way, great, great book. Um, haven't read it for a few years, but I picked up on that because I spent some time at the Panky Institute in Miami, Florida. Um, and Panky, if you don't know, is a little bit along the lines of Dawson, Spear. Um, actually, to be really br- brutally, brutally honest, my opinion is that Panky's a little bit more dogmatic than that, a bit more old school than that maybe evolving in recent times um but their foundations are essentially based on what they call the three-legged stool 
And their three-legged stool is personal mastery, financial mastery, and clinical mastery. And the philosophy behind it is that you simply can't have one longer leg on the stool because something else will topple, topple mm-hmm. over. And to be really, again, brutally honest with, with those of you listening, I think dentistry has got it really wrong over the years. I think dentistry has been full of people who are hard clinical technicians, who are really good with their hands, no doubt gifted, way beyond what I'll ever be and even aspire to be. Because the more I got to know myself and understood my values and my attitude to life and actually why I bother getting up in the morning, the more I realized the fun bit is actually the people and the, and mm. the personal mastery stuff. Um, so, yeah, the art of case presenting comes from that. Um, because she's probably quite a controversial word, maybe a word that you want to get into, but uh, the philosophy behind it is basically that that facts tell and stories sell. Mm-hmm. And and the truth is that if you want to convince anybody to do anything, and I don't mean this in a manipulative, um, taking advantage of vulnerable people kind of way, I just mean this in, in, let's say, for example, your life partner, your wife or something. You want to have your wife sim do something and you know it's in her best interest, but you kind of just like, oh, come on, I want to twist your arm, right? How do you do that best? You don't just tell her to do it or you suggest it. You even be, try and be tactful. One of the most successful ways is actually to make it part of a bundle of, of well, what a better way to describe it than a story. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Give analogies, give representations and use metaphors. And, and you know, that made me go back to my roots. And I did an A-level in English, which is a bit weird for, for some people who... Um, I knew it. I knew you had this... Uh, yeah, it makes, it all, everything makes sense now. Why are you Does different? It? it just makes sense now. <laughs> weird, mate. Not, not different. Um, yeah, so I did, I did um, yeah, A-level in English. And um, unlike most dentists, I had I just had this natural thing where I, I did love writing essays. And I still like writing essays. I, not in a not technical essay essays necessarily but you know I've been toying with this idea of starting a blog and doing a this and doing a that and do you know what I just wish I had 48 hours every 24 I'd do loads of stuff oh, but absolutely, um, yeah so that's that's where really the soft skills stuff came from well on, on that note of uh, facts uh, tell and stories sell case presentation is the very close cousin or even the sibling or maybe it's the very same as another important part which is uh, closing, closing the, the case, closing the, you know, in quotation marks, the deal. Now you... You make me want to be I, sick. I know, no, but here, I know, but this is, this is, this is true. Call yeah. it what you want, but this is, uh, the, you know, this is, this is selling. So the, one of the questions I wanted to ask you is, what are your thoughts on the phrase? Because I know you like to think differently, but what are your thoughts on mm. the phrase, to sell is to serve? You're so controversial. <laughs> Um, look, look. I, 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 this is the word "sell." I totally, totally get it. Is a really controversial word, um, and I think that's because when you do, you look. You know, we all do this mental algebra all day, every day. We've all got this inner monologue, haven't we? And we all do our little sums and we work out our equations and we go, okay, well, I think that equals that because all these things go together, right? If you work out the square root of how words make you feel, I think the word "sell" actually conjures these images of manipulation, deceit, vulnerability, people being taken advantage of. And, do you know, I think one of the reasons why is because the noun, to, uh, the noun a cell is, as we know, used in magic tricks. It's used in an act. Um, mm. It's basically, um, uh, but, well, it could be argued a disappointment. It's a disappointment that's usually resulting from being deceived about the merits of something. Wouldn't you say? 
Yeah, absolutely. And so, so the word sell has these negative connotations, but the verb sell is, is just semantics. It's a trade. It's, it's, a, it's um, an exchange. And whether you like it or not, that is what we do. We exchange. If you've gone to dental school and you're listening to this and you're not aware that you're trading your time, your skills, your services, the knowledge in your head for something, which is probably money, then, you know, you haven't got your, your head screwed on right because we're all doing it. You know, and there's nothing wrong with saying sell, but as long as you're not mis or abusing that word, let's say. Are you enjoying the Protrusive Dental Podcast? Well, allow me to deliver you even more value. You can now download the iOS or Play Store app for free. Just search Protrusive on your app platform. Now, if you're a true Protrusive and you want to support the podcast, you want to claim CPD for all the listening and watching that you do, you want to get access to exclusive clinical walkthrough videos to make dentistry tangible, as well as a premium newsletter, access to the Protrusive Vault, and the ability to download all the clinical videos and podcast videos so you can view them offline later, you can get all of that for less than 15 tax deductible dollars per month. So what are you waiting for? Download the Protrusive app now on iOS or Android for absolutely nothing. We've worked so hard on this, the Protrusive team, and I know you're just going to love it. Now back to the main episode. So as long as you're yeah, doing justice in, in an ethical way, but the, the, the reason why that term, uh, it helped me, is because I also come from this background that selling is a dirty word. You know, I wasn't comfortable with it. Um, I wasn't... Why, Jess? In, it's just for the reasons that you said. It's the, the, the noun. I think you put it beautifully. The noun of of, of sell is just um, is not so uh, well perceived. And in my earlier years, one, two, three, maybe even three years out of dental school, I'd find it really difficult to to tell the price of something to a patient. Um, I I would find it difficult to even though I know this uh, a crown will be better for them than a large composite. Maybe it's from fear of rejection or value or whatever that mm. I would struggle. But then. Something that uh, Barry Alton uh, teaches and a few other people. Baza gets, Baza gets a shout out every episode as well. You know that. He does. You know, he does. He, you know, <laughs> hi, Barry. Both legends. Yeah. Hey, hi, Barry. Uh, so uh, from, from moving on from Barry Polanski to Barry Alton. And Barry yeah. Alton really rang it home for me now to, to serve, to, to sell is to serve. So when you sell to someone, you would do. So when I adopted that mentality that actually by selling Let's let's use the word selling. Selling sure. this crown to this patient instead of a large composite because of the fact that you know um, there's only a thin buckle and lingual cusp remaining, and really in the long term, uh, indirect restoration cuspal coverage, although three times more expensive, mm. is definitely the best thing for that patient. Expensive. And, well, that that's it. Mm. So it's that's that's expect. my. That's my old roots, isn't it? Coming yeah. through, you know, yeah, it's yeah, expensive, sure. or is it? You know, uh, is it a, a, fee a big, for a greater a, value? Yep, a bit bigger, or as some of the gurus say, a bigger investment. Which... Oh, investment. <laughs> investing in yourself, investing in your health, investing in your future. Yeah. yeah. So you have to be, it, no matter you have to be how you want yeah. to spin it, I appreciate that. Yeah. No matter how you want to to, to um, mold the your vocabulary around this, um, you know, the truth behind it for me is that um, our value is not in the carpentry. Our value is not in in the mini arts and crafts. And I've said this for years. We are humans with empathy. And hopefully we make dentistry a comfortable and a seamless experience. And, and we're not lifting things and hunting things. We're not producing stuff or, or growing stuff. We're kind of connecting people and we're nurturing relationships with people. And do you know what? Part of that is that you have to trade your care for something. 
And do you know what? In a Just say it. World, it's money. Money. It's money. It is. <laughs> Give me your money. Um, you know, the truth is that, um, that, that in this disrupted world we're living in, increasingly so, let's face it, whether we like it or not. In these unprecedented times. Ah, oh, stop being unprecedented. <laughs> if you say unprecedented or webinar, I am actually going to strangle you through my screen right now. But yeah. <laughs> Do you know what? Look, look deeper, deeper, than, deeper than, than the word selling, the sales coaches, in my opinion, don't really get it. Their motivation, if your motivation is um, deep-rooted in fear because you're afraid of being replaced or because you're only concentrating on your habits and your skills and your knowledge, you haven't gone deep enough to understand why you're actually doing it, your values behind it. And then you can understand your aspirations, then you can know your emotions, then you understand yourself better. And you know what? Your attitude and your, is a bright byproduct of all of that, isn't it? Absolutely. And you know, if your attitude is right and you're conveying the right message, you won't worry about the words that you use because people will come flocking to you. Do you see? Hundred percent. And and then when when these people come to you on referral, and then let's say we've had this uh, consultation, and that just reminds me of a, of a story. A few weeks ago, I went to my old school, and um, uh, I did a bit of like a speak to you know the year nines, year tens, and they'd come to your oh, stall and learn about dentistry. Such a soft lad. I love it. Had, had a morning off. I thought, I'd like, let's, let's, let's yeah, give back to the community. So <laughs> I, I, did, I did that and um, I didn't know this nurse would be there. And this nurse came from a different region and she had some connection to a school and we were there together. And she was three years into dental nursing uh, and she worked in a uh, predominantly NHS practice. And we just sort of, for a moment, exchanged our stories. So her story was that she would uh, nurse for someone who would see up to 60 patients a day. Yeah. Uh, and I am a dentist who sees eight to 12 patients a day sometimes. Yeah. Um, and then we exchanged, okay, how long is a usual checkup? Oh, about five to 10 minutes. <clears throat> so when I said, oh, a new patient consultation with me is around about 50 minutes, sometimes an hour, she was literally, her mandible hit the floor. Um, mandible, she was, not her jaw, her mandible. <laughs> her mandible hit the jaw, her mandible hit the floor because, because she was just, wait, how do you, what, what do you do for the other 50 minutes? So it, this is the complete paradigm shift that, that, yeah. that she had to have to understand yeah. my world of it. So let uh, us, uh, yeah. No, go on. I just, sorry to interject, but I, I, I think that's really um, the root of why sometimes some dentists m misinterpret one another. Because if you haven't been exposed to a world where maybe you take longer over things, the perception might be that you're wasting people's time. You're just doing it slower and you're just trying to craft a bit more, you know, wring a bit more cash out of that person. And I don't genuinely believe that that's true because if you are, you can legitimately look somebody in the eye and you can offer X solution to solve Y problem, pain, worry, distress, whatever you want to call it. If you can't do that, you're not serving them very very well. So the answer to your question, selling, is it serving, is to sell to serve? Yeah, it is. But the sell is the semantics, which maybe gets in misinterpreted. Yeah, that's uh, that's very fair. That's very fair to say. So I, I don't what I don't want this episode to be uh, in specific is about the actual um, data gathering or information gathering part, the examination, the questions. Because we've done a little bit about that. Um, mm. Also, you went around to different tubule study clubs and you did a beautiful presentation about how to communicate to to patients during that. But I want to do the bit where you've now 
found out the patient's goals, their wants and needs, you've done your complete examination, okay. you have your diagnoses, uh, okay. and you have maybe a couple of different treatment plans in your mind. Let's okay. talk about presentation. So first question is, what percentage of these patients do you bring back for a second treatment plan presentation appointment? Is it always? Is it sometimes? How do you do that? Um, okay, I think really what you're asking about is, is, is choreography. Yep. And, and I mean choreography without making people shudder and think about like um, uh, role play. I'm going to interject I mean, you there as well, Zach. So, so you said role play, you said um, a choreography. Have you read Nudge? Actually, do you know what? It's right here. It's it's sitting here in my bookcase uh, and I haven't noticed. It's, it's, it's next on my list. Why? So, I, no, I listened to it. And it, it talks about... Gosh, oh, you're such uh, an audio book junkie, aren't you? Yeah, no, I must say. And it talks about choice architecture. Which was, a, okay. you know, you say choreography, but yeah. it reminded me of choice architecture. So for those listening, it's the way that different options are presented. So if, whether you're in a canteen or whatever, the way that the different food is presented at different levels, whether it's your eyesight or below, influences your decision. So it talks about in healthcare, how can we make patients pick the option that is the better option for their health overall. Um, so I didn't really come away with massive learning points and how I apply it to dentistry. Perhaps I need to listen to it again, but it's very mm. interesting. You say choreography, another way, choice architecture. So let's talk about, please tell us about yeah, your yeah. So, choreography so role playing. If you're, um, if you're role play, I love it. If you, um, <laughs> if you, um, my, my, in my world, I invite everybody back for, for a follow-up consultation. Um, but I'm not dogmatic. Everyone's got their own workflow. And by the very nature of the practice that you've fallen into, the colleagues you've had, the way they do things, I actually started in my first, let's say, private practice position a couple of years out of university. I was just picking up the ropes, um, learning the ropes. I was um, developing my own style, getting to know myself and what felt right in my hands, in my words. And it takes time to craft that, doesn't it? Because no matter how much you look at yourself in the mirror and you say the words in a particular way, you get these kind of spiels that become normal to you. It doesn't quite always flow until you hit the ground and you go, okay, right, I'm going to have to say this to this person in the way that I practiced. And you kick yourself after and you go, I didn't mean it like that. And, and you kind of look back and you critique, right? Mm -hmm. It's all part of the growth that we all have. So at the beginning, I used a shotgun treatment plan. And what I mean by shotgun treatment plan is I'd have a 45-minute new patient health check appointment checkup if you want to call it jazzy's checkup um <laughs> and i um and i essentially s sat there and i used to do the examination and i'd put some photographs and radiographs on the screen and i'd start seeing things and i'd start pointing them out bang 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 here's my shotgun and i would start putting the treatment plan together and in classic you know um soe exact software uh, it'd be an itemized treatment plan and boom it'd be in somebody's hands so the patient's the there so your your back is to the patient while you're doing this on computer this is let's talk about the full parts the detail. of it yes yeah. that, at that point it was like that yes and and a lot of dental surgeries particularly when you're a younger associate aren't really geared up for this are they they're not no. really um arranged in a, such a friendly way uh, where you can actually have a conversation side by side a patient because the, the the reason why i evolved this and it's become how it is now is because why somebody chooses something often comes down to whether they know, like, and trust you. If they know, like, and trust you, then what happens is they're actually, you've gone up in their estimation one level. And my, actually this happens beyond dentistry. 
the thing I always love to do is tell myself, nobody's going to believe what you believe in until they believe in it themselves. So if you can have somebody come up with a solution themselves to the problem that you have highlighted and they put the words, they, you don't put the words in their mouth, but they spit the words out themselves. Holy moly. Well, you've just nailed it right there, haven't you? Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, I used to think dentistry was kind of reliant on talent and personality. But what I realized over time was that it's become and I've become now re- reliant on set plays. You know, like in America, American football, there's set plays, there's scripts, there's ways that they've rehearsed. And I choreograph this stuff. And then I come along and on my good days, I put my salt and pepper on top and I do my talent and I do my personality and I do my charisma. Mm-hmm. And suddenly you're like, boom, I feel like freaking Spider-Man today because there's like just webs. Boom, boom, everything I touch comes to <laughs> just works. Right. You never, you, and then on those days, it's self-perpetuating joy. And you honestly come to work. And you're like. I can't fail today. This is all great. And actually, Jim, what happens is you produce better restorations. Patients walk out the door and advocate you. They become raving fans. We've talked about that before. Paddy Lund's kind of a way of approaching things. So when you told me about the theme of this podcast, why do I invite patients back? I actually broke that down in my head. Why do I invite them back? Well, I enjoy bringing patients back for a presentation appointment because I don't call it a presentation appointment. I just call it a follow-up consultation. But it's for a few reasons. And one of them actually is quite a serious, important medical legal reason. And the reason is because in my eyes, you can't adequately consent somebody for X solution to Y problem because it, it, in what, you can't do that in one appointment necessarily, in my opinion, because it takes time for people to, to warm up to you, to open up to you, to trust you, to see you're credible. You're not a charlatan. You're not a cell. You're not an act. You're, you're re- really doing it because it's in their best interest. And, you know, if you want to go even further, then you could say Montgomery level con- consent. If you're going to go with Montgomery, Montgomery level consent, that level of detail needs to be appropriate to the person uh, or the patient or any reasonable patient under those particular circumstances. But for that reason, it's ironically pretty impossible, isn't it? How can you possibly get to know somebody in a shotgun treatment planning type appointment? How can we know what's reasonable for that person or what's unreasonable? Because we're not blinking psych. I'm, I'm not. I'm not psychic. So I get to know somebody slowly and steadily. And, and my approach to it is that I at all stages want to mitigate my risks. I mitigate my risk by getting to know my patients. And I do that unhurriedly, I hope, and hopefully personably. And if you then do the extra salt and pepper, hello, Bazaar again, if you do your comfortable dental injection technique, and by the way, Barry hasn't taught me, I've never even met the guy, I've just spoken a couple of times online and seen some of his work online and things, but you know, people are influences like that around you make you see actually that is how you join the dots, boom, 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 and suddenly that's for me the real art of being a successful dentist. <clears throat> well, what I, what I was hearing there when you said about the bring them back for the reasons of consent is never treat a stranger is what you know what the the, the theme of, of that was basically to get over that. Didn't so you, you say that on you, his podcast. Absolutely. So you you yeah. you, you, you bring them back. Um, you, you, because of the fact that one of the benefits is the, the consent, it reduces uh, risk overall. And then when you follow that up with your excellent work, but if someone's listening to this and, and they're thinking, oh, you know what, when this lockdown finishes, I'm going to go back, I'm going to invite all my patients back for a follow-up, follow-up appointment. Well, you need to make sure everyone's in on it. You actually need to get your receptionist, yeah, yeah, yeah. nurse. You can't just suddenly just, you no, know, this is off what the I'm doing now, guys. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, exactly. And, you know, this is the, the thing that takes time. Quite a, quite a lot of students who I used to 
to teach. There's one teach. Uh, there's one who I um, I think of in particular. I won't call him out because he might be embarrassed. But um, he always used to say to me, "How do I start doing this complex work?" The truth is that you can't start doing complex work until your team trust you. Your team don't trust you because they don't know you. They don't know you well enough yet. They've not seen you vulnerable. They've not not seen you scared. They've not seen you elated and enjoy it. They they just don't necessarily and then why would you because there's an awful lot of really not very nice not very very good dentists out there over the years sad to say um but we now our generation are having to kind of bear the consequences of that people don't trust easily in our field so if your team love you trust you first then they're more likely to recommend you to your patients and that's how you increase your skill set not only soft skills but then you can start branching into more more complicated treatments and so on for, for me really the, the other reason not only just consent but the other reason is it's really important you know and a patient needs to know what their problem is it's problem awareness and that takes time as well until they can commit to a solution they need to believe what we believe they need to approach the dentistry in the way that i like to approach it because i'm sorry to say it's my house my rules and they need to know like and trust you like we said and well, they need it to come also, up with the decision themselves. They need to come up with the decision, but also gives you the time as a person who's going to be um, sharing the different options with them, some time to actually put something together. Yeah, exactly. And and if they don't trust the fact that uh, that you're doing that for the right reasons, then you actually might be a bit stuck because... Um, a lot of people at that point are sitting there thinking they've been they, imagining from a new patient's point of view they walk in the door um, and they're expecting a certain thing because they haven't been geared up to this is the way they do it in this clinic and so what they do is they're expecting an answer at the end of the appointment where you might they might be sorely disappointed at that point right they might feel let down they might actually feel that they trust you less so actually you're not wrong if you go back after lockdown let's say and you're back into dentistry maybe dentistry is going to change altogether but who knows that's another conversation you you hit the ground running, you um, put together these wonderful treatment plans, actually you might come across in a very, the, quite the opposite way that you intend it. Absolutely. You have to, you have to uh, make sure this is all part of something bigger. Um, yeah. the, the thing I Jesse, want can to... can I just do it before you move on to yeah. the next one? Next thing. The, um, the other thing that's part of that, by the way, the choreography, I say, is kind of if you break it down from a person's point of view, a patient's point of view, they know absolutely nothing about you. They've never seen your face. Rewind to the very beginning of the steps. What do they know about you beforehand and what are you producing online, for example? Because that's where most people look, isn't it? Your website, your blog, your Instagram feed, God forbid. Uh, how many Rolex watches you're wearing and whether it shows your Ferrari <laughs> logo and your Ferrari badge or whatever, you know? It, it'd be very conscious that that sends a signal. And I hate to say it, guys, but if you're ultimately you wish to live a quite a pretentious life where you've got logos and brands around you and you, you're, you're, you're swimming in this world of stuff, you're going to attract a certain type of patient. So beware, be wary. Don't don't be uh, just diving in because you think that that's the way to do it, right? So you, they have to know what they're going to get beforehand. You have to ask yourself why they found you. What are their expectation levels? What are the systems that you have as a team? And what do they, you know, slowly, slowly, slowly get there step by step? You don't ask somebody to marry you on the first date, and that's what a lot of dentists do. And that's what I was doing first a couple of years out of uni. I was asking people to commit to extensive treatment plans, asking to marry them on the first date. You mentioned uh, about bringing them back every time. 
the way that um, I do it at the moment is uh, in something you mentioned, the Panky, I can mention a lesson we can learn from the Dawson Academy, which yeah. is there are two types of patients. There's your general patient and there's your complete patient. So my general patients who I say, you, you know, this patient, you know, you need a crown and a filling. Go see the hygienist. Here's your plan. It's going to cost you that much. Obviously, I don't say it in that way. But then, then there's your complete patient, which needs a whole lot more. And they need to really understand what they're getting themselves into. And sometimes you have someone who has really complex needs, but their mental attitude and their goal is of a general patient. Uh, so, you know, you have to suss out the patient and, as well. And they don't know yet how they're going to feel after you've started to help them, right? And you don't mm -hmm. know either. So for me, you know, if you want to boil this down into a journey, it's, it's problem awareness first, because it is uh, sorry, it's risky to make big decisions and maybe invest, if that's the word you want to use, financially in something without knowing its value. So that's first. And then solution awareness. And then they're going to have some interest in what you've got to provide. And slowly but surely, they'll come to trust you. And one of the ways that you can actually have a general patient become a complete patient, let's say, if that's the philosophy you want to use, is you can solve some of their relatively surface level problems with a an affordable way, uh, a minimal investment, if that's the term you want to use, of time and money and whatever. So low stress. And what you're demonstrating at that point is, hey, I'm a good guy. I know what I'm doing and I'm not going to push you. And that's cool. You take your time at whatever's, whatever's right for you. Play the long game. Play the long game. And you also demonstrate that you're someone who's listened to that patient because, you know, that's, that's what they wanted. Yes, they have needs that should be met that are beyond what they're even aware of, like you said. But, you know, it, it all starts with actually good foundations and getting that patient just healthy and happy and have their own goals met before you then educate the patient about Absolutely. actually. Uh, and, and that's the whole part of it. And I just remember the other thing I was going to say based on what you said about what is your online presence like? That's what I was going to say. And, mm. you, know, a, you know, a huge percentage of people before their appointment will Google you. So you need to make sure that what you're projecting out in the World Wide Web is the same thing that, you know, you coherently want to... Has he? It's not 1997, is it? <laughs> I don't remember. <laughs> World Wide Web. Wow, that's the first time I've heard that in a while. But yes, it's yeah, It's a I long agree. time to come <laughs> I agree completely. Quick fire yes or no question. Does uh, having a consult... Does, does, does having a consult room make a difference to patient acceptance? Yes, but probably negatively. Negatively. Fantastic. Interesting. Cool. Uh, so then now we're going to get into the meat Ooh, of it. Oh, I love that you don't even want to delve into that because it's so controversial. <laughs> it is controversial, you know. No, okay, I mean, I'll be honest. I, I call a presentation room or a consult room a hard sell room. <laughs> Usually it's a small room. It's a cupboard. People feel locked in. They feel encapsulated. No matter how much you allow them to put, point their feet to the door or use all these philosophies behind allowing them to, to feel like they're in control oh, you've got a lovely screen and it smells nice. And look, there's lots of ways to manipulate people, but I'm really sorry to say, I think, in my opinion, it veers more, if you're going to call it a spectrum, I think it's more of a hard sell than a patient being in charge kind of way of doing things. If it fits into your workflow that you have to use a separate room, then that's a separate subject and a separate uh, methodology. Do it because you, you want to, because it's something that you feel is a comfortable environment rather than what some people do is because they read or heard somewhere that actually their case acceptance will go up if they do it in a different room. Yeah. That's not necessarily what should be the case. 
Do you know what Herschel? If, if you listen, I don't even know if Herschel watches, uh, listens and watches. He does. He's, he's, he's yeah, he's a cool Hello, guy, Hersh- man. Yeah. Um, Hi, Herschel. <laughs> you know, he said something the other day which resonated with me, which is that he, in the first few years of his career, he thought the aim was to get people to say yes, and he came a point came to a point in his career where he just went, "Oh, all oh, right, that isn't just. I'm not just here to get people to say yes." No, you're not. And, you know, it, it takes some time, I think, to, to be burned a few times and hurt a few times and go, am I really bad at this or something? No, it's completely fine to just hold somebody's, treat it this, treat it this way, hold somebody's hand through the journey of their dental, their, their dental life, their dental future. And if you're a really committed, caring person who will stay in one location, like the Rajalawalias, for example, of the world, who have literally been in the same room with the same dental chair Tiff since Koreshi he was a VT. Well. Yeah, exactly. Guys like that who are, who are giants. If you want to sh- stand on the shoulders of giants like that, be less millennial. Just be a bit old school. Be a bit kind of, you know, it's not about me. It's about other people. And you have to be quite vocational about it if you want to, I think, be the best you can be. Again, maybe I'm a hypocrite for saying that because I've contorted my career in lots of ways and moved countries like you have and and worked abroad and all that sort of stuff. So there isn't any hard and fast rule, but hopefully this will, you know, inspire you in some way and help you kind of think about what's really right for yourself. Well, beautifully said, but also echoing what you just said a few minutes ago is playing the long game. Mm. So let's talk about the appointment. So now the patient's back for the follow-up appointment. What can you, because I know you've studied this in great depth, what can you teach our listeners about how to, I don't know if I want to use the word successful or a having a good or a appropriate treatment presentation appointment? Can you talk, talk, tell us about maybe, maybe I don't know, I, didn't, I have no idea which direction you're going to go in now. Maybe you're going to talk about different personality types and how to present to different personality types. Maybe you're yeah. going to say about um, letters and photos or what? how do you want to now, I mean, the, the microphone's yours, my friend, tell us about presenting to, to patients. <laughs> tell us about to patients. Okay, t- t- tell, tell me how to uh, make me someone who is a who is okay? Ultimately, how am I? How am I going to get my patients? <laughs> I was just about to give you a compliment, Jazzy. I was just about to say you've got really good at this because you you allow your your guest to take the reins. This is wonderful. And now you've started to go old, Jazzy, where you just talk. I know. And talks with... <laughs> I know. I'm getting. But the thing is, I'm I'm, I'm biting my tongue because I don't want. No, 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 no. I'll take you know the reins. Do- don't worry. Well. How do you get patients to say yes at the end of the day? Look, at the end of the day, look, I know you just said, uh, Herschel said, okay, it's not about getting, getting patients to say yes, but a part yeah. of presenting is because yeah. you would have come up with a plan that is in the patient's best interest and yeah. it's a type of dentistry that you want to be doing, okay? Yeah. And obviously you want to uh, choreograph your yeah. treatment presentation so that yeah. actually it gets the patient to do what is the right thing for them that meets their goals in a way yeah. that is ethically, uh, ethically and that's uh, yeah. that something that's within as you as a dentist uh, in your sort of um, bracket of complexity. So tell us about how we can ultimately choreograph this appointment in the best way possible. That was very succinct. Well done, Jess. Can we have a round of applause for Jess? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so look, I think the way to think about this is, you know, in everything in dentistry, start with the end in mind, right? But if you're going to start with the end in mind, you then have to break down every step of the journey. If you want to present effectively to patients, we said it begins at the beginning with the awareness stage. 
So for me, I know what you're expecting me to answer is literally when the patient is face to face with you in the room, how are you setting this up? How are you choreographing? Where's the computer screen? Where do they sit? Do they sit on the dental chair? Do they sit on a separate chair? If they've got a, you know, their partner with them or their friend or whatever, do they sit in, you know, how does this actually literally work? But just pause for a second and think. The relevance of that is actually that you need to know where a patient started on their journey. When they became aware of you, what did they see? How much do they know about the solutions already? Because you need to customize this. And some of that information you can actually achieve, or you can receive, sorry, um, in some of the pre-chat stuff. I mean, I mean, way back. I mean, for example, if your system is patient finds out about us online they enter a, they see your blog for example i've started recently during lockdown starting to produce some hopefully really awesome resources for patients where they feel like they're in charge of the situation where they are starkly comparing the difference between what we do in a clinic environment versus direct to consumer at home braces type solutions for example one of the things I'm working on at the moment is actually like a, you know, um, a DSD, like a facially generated treatment planning thing like Spear used to do 20 years ago, 30 years ago. Why don't we show patients more transparently what we see as dentists? Because if they're seeing stuff like that, they're instantly forming a kind of perspective on this is what jazz and uh, jazz is about. This is what he does. And geez, this guy's valuable because he knows this stuff. And, you know, it pitches you in a certain pocket of their mind where they go, this guy's a giver. Do you follow? So I don't want to go too woolly about this, but awareness starts with all of that stuff. And if they've got some backstory about you, not because you're trying to convince them, some of that actually might be a valuable resource because you can then say, okay, well, here's your, you know, whatever you want to call it, facially generated treatment plan. This is what you came up with. What solutions do you think there might be? And that's how you can start to mold the conversation, for example. The other aspects of it then, you know, are what did they receive from the clinic beforehand? Again, if you're an associate, young associate, yet, let's say your first five years, 10 years qualified, you maybe don't have your own environment where you can mold uh, quite so much yet. But if that's the case, then help me with my uh, uh, episode 10 numbers and, and get us the extra 12 so I can get to the top spot because we spoke <laughs> about being a linchpin in episode 10, right? Yes, and being did. a linchpin actually comes down to you taking the reins a little bit and showing the team around you that you care about this. And the way you can do that is for example you could come up with email sequences you can help to communicate with patients beforehand by having that phone call we spoke about by it's all about molding what's right for the type of patient you want to receive at the end and what they might need to see on that journey before they get to you i for example then talk to a patient by whatsapp beforehand and I've got WhatsApp on my desktop now, so I'm literally like, you know, old school MSN Messenger, probably before a lot of people's time listening to this. But Good old MSN. I'm back and forth like that, right? Um, because do, you, do you have a separate number for like, um, yeah, yeah. just yeah, cool. So you have a WhatsApp and this is, uh, again, part of the pre-appointment sort of chat? or this Absolutely. Is this is way back. So if you want to know my flow, it's, it's um, patient finds out about us. And some sort of campaign or they've found out us about found out about us from a friend or a word of mouth or whatever it's very rare for somebody to just walk past and enter let's say if you want to call it a funnel call it a funnel if they want to enter that and just walk in off the street then they actually actually they need to pre-qualify themselves for why they're there and without being too rude or harsh about this one of the reasons why is who's it that spoke is it the implant ninja guy what's his name uh ivan ivan, ivan. Chikun. Hello, Ivan, if you're listening. Um, Ivan uh, spoke about this, and actually, I just seeing as I uh, wanted to talk about it, 
this is my really rough version of what I've just uh, been working on these last couple of days of what I would call green flag, amber flag, red flag patients. And I'm trying to work on ways of kind of going, is this person my patient? So, And the reason why is because, lo and behold, start at the end, this bit. Sorry about all the rustling paper if you're just listening to the audio version of this. But um, <laughs> Jazzy's like, God, I cannot produce radio with you. Um <laughs> But the ideal patient for me, I've just jotted down a few points. Smooth treatment results as planned. Arrange appointments and keep them. Fun to be around. Make our day rewarding. Pay without asking and on time. Maintain the result for years with minimal issues, minimal relapse, home care, low follow-up stress. So if I A unicorn. Yeah, the unicorn patient. Now, how do I get the bloody unicorn patient? Well, I'm sorry to say that I've worked in some clinics over the years and... um, a lot of practices don't know because they've not thought about it. They just let anyone in the funnel. And if you let anyone in the funnel, what's going to happen is that you get any old crap at the bottom, don't you? Mm. And you don't get the fun patients to be around. You have stressful, uh, a stressful life and um, a stressful career. And, and the importance of that is that you know what you're going to get afterwards. And like I was saying, if, if you've got a funnel, you've got to start with the right people to get to the right people at the end right? If you're going to start having to filter people out, well, that becomes time consuming, it becomes stressful, and it actually relies an awful lot on variables. And it relies on team members to say the right things. And sometimes those team members are not empowered to do it, and they feel embarrassed to do it, and they don't know the right words to use. And so you you end up with people halfway down the funnel who actually should have never got in in the first place. And only then do you all realize, holy moly, we've made a total cock up of this. And that's when you then get, like I was saying before, the patients who aren't so fun to be around, the patients who book appointments and and cancel them short notice and and so on and so forth but then it also comes down to the practice environment it's it's your location it's your facility it's what your team members say and how you know the 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 stuff that really uh, their their own vocabulary the stuff we were talking about earlier pre-first appointment some practices I totally appreciate have like a treatment coordinator type approach or they have a consultation of some um uh, some sort of nature where somebody can get to know a bit more about what, what they offer or maybe now in, in lockdown a virtual consultation of some description maybe that would be a, a worthwhile use of your time well, in um, your case it's the telephone conversation right? yeah for me it was always a telephone conversation actually I might through all of this um, uh, evolve that into a video consultation because I can get a lot more from a patient in that sense I've even been um, trialling and, and uh, testing out methods like SmileMate for example which comes from dental monitoring uh, which is essentially a way of building some value about what you do beforehand so patients can even send you photographs of their mouth and yeah they're crap photos they're retracted with fingers and they're you know the clues all that's out of, like, 30 degrees like this rather than 90 degrees perpendicular but <laughs> Better than some dentists, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> and the truth is that um, uh, patients actually respond quite nicely to that. Patients actually quite like the fact that we're different to most. And that's and called then, Smile Mate. It's called Smile Mate, yeah. EU.smilemate.com okay. or something like that, I think. So cool. Something like that, yeah. So um, you're... At that point, you know, now I'm only just getting to the bit which I thought you probably thought I was going to start with, which is the first appointment, right? And then during the first appointment, we've talked already, we do about... We do a discussion, we have a blame-free, judgment-free kind of style, as you know. We do our very best to signpost our way through the examination process so patients are getting nuggets of information but not trying to receive it all in one go. And then really the main crux of it is the second consultation where you come back to somebody with a piece of paper in your hand or, in my world, a massive iPad Pro screen, a PDF that you've been putting together with a risk assessment of stuff, but using words that actually matter to them. 
So, for example, I'm actually going to pick it up on my screen um, whilst we're talking. The way that's broken down in my world is goals and concerns, recommendation overview, which gives them a kind of step by step. And it's not, you know, stabilization, phase one, blah, blah, blah. It's not. It just says healthy teeth and gums. Step two, diagnostic and further planning. Step three, smile, a smile you're proud of. Step four, a care plan. And I love it. You, do you like that? I really like the in patients' own terms. That's that's. I'm I'm gonna be uh, nicking that one. And it's still steal away, no problem. And do you know what? That's that point. You then you know I said it before about problem awareness. That's the point at which I then talk about my bespoke dental health report, which is a bit wordy. I probably need to evolve that a bit, but it, it's a basically a way of demonstrating to somebody that they've got this red risk for this thing and this and this and this, and then you can dive in a bit more as well. So verbally, what I'll do is I'll talk them through this plan and I'll tell them and I'll talk like this. So make it really tangible. Look, you're there. You've got the the iPad screen. Screen. this is something you're presenting to them on the ipad screen at the moment correct and do so they have their own printed version in their hand as well no i email it afterwards because i'm as green as can be right so so they've got the uh, uh, you've got the ipad screen your sort of your finger you're sort of scrolling down as you're yeah. explaining yeah and i'm and okay. i'm and i in certain times i um, sort of launch into kind of pretty stock spiels i have kind of like i'll go down a rabbit hole of let's talk about teeth let's talk about the health of every one of your teeth your teeth uh, when we look at teeth it's really important that we check them from a biological point of view that's is there a hole in it is there soft decay you might remember from episode 10 we talked about soft decay because patients don't care about caries or decay soft decay and then i talk about teeth from a mechanical point of view chipping wear and tear broken edges fracture lines for example and then i talk about teeth from the point of view of their foundations and what i'm trying to get into the person's head is that particularly in a slightly more complex case we need to tackle each one of these things step by step so that the foundations around them the mechanics of every tooth and the biological health of each tooth is sound because without all those three again three-legged stool without those three things your tooth's buggered i don't say that but do you follow what i'm saying you're, you're trying to you're trying to give it to in to them in tangible terms without over complicating it or too you don't woolly it up too much so I imagine at this point you're showing them some graphics uh, regarding each three members of those stools. Correct. And so I've got um, an app on my, gee, I don't know what it's called, on my iPad. Uh, I'm going to look that up and check it out for you. But it's a really cool app. It's really expensive a few years ago, like two or three hundred pounds app. Uh, but it's got some some um, diagrams and stuff. It's got some videos and stuff on it, which are quite useful. Um, and then there's a couple of other resources. Again, I've sent them over to you, Jazz, and you can stick them on jazz.dental or the uh, or the Facebook group or whatever. And um, yeah, those types of things are so valuable because you can then actually show people in real world terms this is what you're what we're looking at right now. And you're also adding credibility at that point. You can actually, what I, the trick of what I'm doing as I'm showing them their problems is I also have a set bank of photographs for X condition, which are my work, where I can say, as you can see with Jane here, she came to see us like this. And all I do is a very rapid swipe through of, and this is what we did, and da, and da, and da, and this is her at the end. But we'll come to that in a second. And what we're doing is we I don't ever let myself get, and hopefully I can say ever, 100% of the time, don't go too far down the rabbit hole that you start getting sidetracked with questions. But equally, don't be so didactic that it's like a lecture. Because I used to work with a guy who is just literally like a robot in his new patient consultation and his present presentation appointment. It is almost cringeworthy to listen to because you can tell the patient has switched off after 10 minutes and they don't want to be there. 
So what's the point? It's mm-hmm. not adding value at all. It's losing value. You need to show your personality and that you're, you know, you're, you're, you're passionate, that you're so the, 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 the sort of personality that's going to be getting along with that patient. And this is another yeah. opportunity for you to, to show that you are the right dentist for this patient. Or, or, or maybe you're not, but then that's yeah, where you and, can find and, out. And Jazz, Jazz, the other thing is that it's not self, um, it's, it's not just because I'm a caring, sharing kind of guy. It's actually quite selfish in, in, uh, in, um, in, without being a nasty person about it, I don't want to treat people who are a pain in the ass. And if we haven't got a connection at appointment two or appointment three, well, I'm cool with cutting all losses at that point because I don't want to have to get to appointment 10 and find out. Mm-hmm. And the well presenting said. doesn't actually stop there either, as you know. The present, presenting, the presentation of your treatment plan is an evolving feast. Although we've got it in black and white, or in my world, purple and white on some of our treatment plans, you get through to solutions and you start delving into whether this sounds right for solving their problem. Hopefully they've told you the solution as you're getting down that journey. But every appointment, appointment on appointment, um, you're continuously managing expectations. You're gauging your rapport with that person. You're looking at whether they're punctual, whether they pay their bill, whether they're, you know, you're demonstrating your care with your pain management. You're working out whether their treatment has worked in the recommended way and they're caring for it at home. And ultimately, then you get predictable results for predictable patients who actually aren't just robots, you actually want to be around them. They now have a pretty good insight in terms in terms of what's going on. And mm. in the very beginning of that, you gave them an overview of, okay, we want a healthy mouth. Then eventually, step four, uh, we want to be a care plan. I forgot the terms that you use exactly. But then how do you actually now tell the patient, okay, so based on all this stuff that I've just told you about, this is what you have and where we want to go, ideally, there must be some options. Sometimes there's more than just one option. And the other sure. day in the Tubules Live Aid with Riaz Yard, did you watch that one? Yeah, yeah, that's exactly how we ended up coming to talk about this in the first place because I commented yeah, on yeah, you too. We, yeah, yeah, we were talking on WhatsApp. And so the, for those who didn't catch that, so Riaz Yard, essentially the way he presents to patients is there's a comprehensive most ideal plan. So getting the gingival zenith perfect, gingival surgery, uh, orthodontics, several restorations, and this is like the gold standard, okay? Uh, but that's going to be uh, the highest fee for the highest value. See what I did there, Zach. Uh, Smart. <laughs> see, already he's rubbing off on me. So oh, then, I love it. But, then, but then some patients, uh, it will be a um, something not quite to that level, but something that will still be uh, fairly... I forgot the terminology uh, he used so for that middle it, one. So it would be something like a, an acceptable result, let's say. Or maybe yeah. it's compromised. Yeah, uh, yes, I think it, it's yes, compromised. compromised. Yes, because yeah. then instead of ceramic, you might be using composite in some places, for example. Yeah. And then there's a bare minimum that actually, if you're not yeah. going to have this, then you're actually, it's dangerous for me to treat you or I don't feel yeah. comfortable to treat you or it's just ethically or wrong. Or maybe that's the point at which you do what's necessary to get that patient um, pain-free and you refer to, I don't know, a therapist in your team. Um, yep. And that may be the patient then comes full circle later, a year, two years, five years later, and they're suddenly ready because they've got to know, like, and trust you guys as a team. So that's mm-hmm. one method. Are you but basically with, with asking that method, what's my with, method? Well, I'm coming. I'm, I'm about to come on to that. But with that method, we need to understand that what uh, Riaz Yar was trying to say was that, yes, there are these plans, but mm. one thing that will affect um, which plan is most appropriate for them is that all the plans will be clinically appropriate, but the, the main factor will be is the affordability. What can the patient yeah. afford? And in, in the real world, that's important. So... He will tell them the appointment beforehand or earlier on is that, okay, if you're going to go for a comprehensive plan, it's around about uh, this region. Is that the sort of thing that you're looking for, the ballpark figure? And then you sort of know 
which level you're pitching at. So there's no, if the patient says, look, I can only afford 5,000 pounds or the option compromise and I can't afford the 25,000 pound um, plan A, you you mention it because the patient needs to know, you know, what the gold standard may be, but you're not going to spend too much time on it. So that's his method of doing it. The, the difficulty with that and, and with, with, with greatest respect to Riaz, he's a fantastic clinician. The only thing I don't like about that is it actually, actually two things. One is that it means that it's geared towards uh, the fee it, it's geared towards finances i.e if you can accept x result because your finances say so you're opting into that plan well i don't like that for some reason because for example if i've got 25 grand in my pocket and i want your perfect um no compromises all frills all bells and whistles plan but i don't and I don't, and I can't consent to perio surgery because I absolutely will not have surgery in my mouth. I won't have scalpels. I don't want sutures. Blah blah blah. I'm a TV presenter. Obviously, I'm a TV presenter, um, <laughs> and I don't want to show you know blue sutures. You know, uh, even for one day or two days, and I can't get time off. Then it's not acceptable plan to me. I, that's not consent consensual in the slightest, is it? It's not Fair certainly point. not an informed result. Um, suggestion. The other aspect of it is that the people who opt into the bare minimum, you aren't actually consenting thoroughly if you're not explaining what that does involve and what the benefits of it are. Now, I, no, I don't know in detail exactly what um, Riaz's solution or methods involve, so I'm not knocking it in the slightest, but my way of doing it is, and I would recommend this particularly early on in your career, my methodology with it is have everybody focus only on phase one care to begin with for two reasons again two i love the two reasons right so first reason is that at the beginning it actually you're when you're not quite so experienced and you're not quite so um you know um you're not so sure of your own results that you can achieve it's okay to boil it down into very straightforward steps one by one by one do you follow what i'm saying yeah, so, so phase one is healthy mouth. Absolutely, which we can all achieve because if you've been to dental school, you'll know that phase one is just is biology, isn't it? And yes, it's mechanics to some degree, but you can pause on mechanics because you can provide a night guard, let's say, which will buy you some time. It will actually test, as you've spoken about lots of times in your other podcasts, it will test people's compliance. It will see whether they are suitable for any more complex treatment solutions in the future. And it can be used for diagnostic tool as well. So it's like win, win, win. And then in the meantime, you're also testing their compliance, their home care and whatever else with regards to their foundations around their teeth, for example. Um, just rewinding ever so slightly, one of the reasons why on our second consultation, we combine that second consultation with a, we call it professional hygiene visit, scale and polish, if you live in a different world. If yep. you combine those two things together, what you're doing is you're, you're, you're selling the benefits of all of that stuff that we stand for on day one. It's like an opt-in strategy. You, you are not allowed to opt out of it. Um, and I don't treat anybody who won't accept a professional hygiene visit on day one. And the reason why is not because I'm an ass, I am a bit, but it's also because I believe in longevity and the things that I provide, whether it is bare minimum, compromised or gold standard, all of those things require some taking care of. And, and I'll say it to patients in these words. I, as much as I love taking responsibility for my work and I really believe in how long it lasts, what you do at home is going to have a greater um, input on that and greater impact on that. Um, and that's evidence-based. 
yeah, and, it, and it's teamwork, and it really is. It's our result. Um, if you want to go even more fluffy, at the Panky Institute, they call it the, a co-production. This is a co-production. <laughs> this is a diagnostic co-production. This is you having your input. This is um, a, the treatment result is a co-production. If you go home with a numb lip and you chew your lip, well, it's not a very good result, is it? Well, is that my fault? Is that your fault? Is it both of our fault? Probably both. What else do you want me to share? I, th- I think. Well, you 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 talked to. So I think you've summarized it beautifully in the way that. Okay, actually, if the ideal plan for that patient, let's let's talk about that same patient who needs twenty five thousand pounds worth of work towards the ideal, where we talk about Riaz's uh, way of doing it, where we yeah. uh, heard on the tubules live aid. So yeah. your way of presenting is that you you know the second appointment you will have your iPad, you will you will show them their plan on the iPad, give them a good in depth knowledge of what is their condition of their biology of every tooth, the mechanics of every tooth, how that fits into their goals, what the general overall aim is, and mm-hmm. then when it comes to um the you know the final options you're gonna say well actually we need to start with phase one so you're not gonna fire and trigger the sort of twenty five thousand pound proposal the letter with all the appointments yeah. you're gonna say no, no, no. not because, yet because yeah because even if in a in in a parallel universe if you even if you did present that twenty five thousand pound plan the yeah. phase one is still coming first essentially, anyway yeah for sure and and the way that for example let's say it could even be argued that you don't actually even prep teeth in phase one and i i do to some for some situations but let's say for example if your isolation is meticulous if your caries excavation is ideal if you really know what you're doing with proper bonding techniques you can actually build what i would call a posh core so that's a giant size composite with all your fancy anatomy and contact points and you can actually what's the purpose of a restoration biological seal correct convexity and contour so we minimize periodontal breakdown and we improve um, hygiene um, and it creates it just creates a seal doesn't it it actually gives you some mechanical strength now if you protect that tooth in such a way that you can actually come back to it in phase two or phase three that's the way i explain it to people i explain this will buy us some some time and nobody knows how long some is because that kind of relies on how long it takes to get back to completing the rest of your phase one plan, which might be driven by finances. Uh, it might be driven by time. It might be driven by your jet set lifestyle where you're abroad all the time or whatever. It may relate it to the person because that really matters. Um, and then, you know, when patients come to phase two or three, the way you're explaining it is that we're doing some further planning at this point. Well, the patient actually, so the patient will have, uh, will be aware of the fee of the, the appointments in that are encompassed within phase one. Sure. But phase two and phase three, they know that they exist, but, uh, yeah. and roughly, do they know what phase two and phase three may involve in the future? Yeah, so, so the, yeah, I do. I outline it at the very beginning, but I, I, I explain how would all of that seem to you? If you had a healthy mouth where we are confident or we've reduced as much as physically possible the risk of pain, broken teeth, um, and, and improve things in terms of the way things look, particularly with front teeth, but I'm not providing you know uh, elective treatment at that point, would you be happy with that solution, do you think? And again, I've got a bank of photographs on my iPad from six previous cases, and I'll show them the full mouth uh, stage one solution. And that might be even, you know, I mentioned posh cores, but some teeth do have to have just provisional crowns on them. So I'm not scared if you, uh, you probably know this already, I'm not scared of um, prepping a tooth and sticking a uh, luxotemporal or bisacryl um, provisional crown on it and sticking it on with some uh, polycarboxylates and poly F. 
because that's a long-term way of treating a tooth. What does a provisional crown do? Still provides a bacterial seal, still provides good contact points, still improves hygiene, still protects the tooth mechanically, right? You're buying time. But the patient's opting in. Oh, I don't need to have the definitive long-term ceramic crown yet. No. But we know, and I know, you and, you and I are on the same wavelength, aren't we, buddy? Because we know that that wasn't ever intended to last forever. The other thing, just briefly, that you can do there, Jazz, is a way I then pitch things when I get to phase two, which is kind of the jumping off point for further planning and stuff, is the patient's got to know the fact that we really care about the way, you'll love this because of the theme of your of your podcast, Protrusive, because patients will understand the way that occlusion works better. You can't have a patient understand occlusion on day one, even if you've got the fancy diagrams, the fancy model. You remember that thing I showed you from Dina from years ago? Um, all sorts of clever things you can use to explain it, but really you're demonstrating your care for your attention to detail every single appointment. You place a restoration, you polish, you shape, you this, you that, whatever. And you know what happens at that point is I don't actually give an itemized fee per item after phase two. If you go to BMW and buy a car... After phase one or after phase two? Sorry, I was trying so to stop you. Just to clarify, I'm to understand phase that. one, I do, I do provide a, an itemized fee per item breakdown. Yep. For perio, by the way, I don't. I actually mm -hmm. include perio um, stabilization, so um, uh, anything of that sort of nature as a package because I'm not interested in patients who want to come and just have one thing done and then come back three late three months later but they've fallen off the face of the earth and they've not they've not really whilst I hate having to approach it this way having to pay a fee for a service does sharpen people's mind it sharpens their mindset and if you if your strategy is uh, that's a package of treatment which includes X, Y, Z. You can even include the bells or the whistles. You can have the uh, hygiene products included, the electric toothbrush. The, this. You're bundling it all in. Then I would do that as a, as a package. But just to clarify what I was saying before, as I shoot off on a thousand tangents as ever, phase one is itemized. Phase two is where we start doing some further planning. I don't, but what I want to know, forward, Zach, is when you're presenting at that appointment and the patient mm. now knows exactly what phase one's going to involve and yep. also know in the future what phase two and phase three will involve, but do they walk away with a, a number for phase two and phase three? No, no, no. So no. They, th this no. patient who has who needs 25k worth of work to be in the comprehensive category they yeah. don't yet know what they don't yet know they don't yeah, yet they, know well i don't i'm not evasive but if somebody asks me point blank so let's say you're the patient and you've gone okay well how much is a crown after that i will tell them fee per item is this the yeah. the, the, the fee that we charge to do that long term and last for decades if it's well maintained is between this and this is, is generally the kind of vocabulary that otherwise I you don't offer that ballpark figure to no to not patients. generally not generally but unless for example that a patient has um uh, been offered a provisional crown or recommended a provisional crown in phase one you do have to as part of yeah. that item i'll say this will require a definitive crown because they can't opt into the provisional crown and then you have them twist their arm later for a bit more cash and actually that's quite <laughs> a no that's not that's not a way to make friends and and um and um, compatriots yeah so okay. um so they, they yeah. know they're, they're, they're sorry to talk about numbers, but this is something that uh, so many young dentists struggle with, actually, yeah. how to actually send patient a plan that mm. makes sense to them. And this is the beauty yeah. of the way you explain to them, but also uh, one that phases uh, pricing and money 
appropriately in, yeah. in private practice. So yeah. they know about their, so they've had, they've gone through phase one, they're at the end of phase one. How do you now, now signpost phase two? How do you know the patients are ready uh, psychologically and um, financially for phase two? How do you know they're ready psychologically because they're still attending and they're still fulfilling all of the green flags that we um, had identified at the beginning? Um, and if there are any amber flags, which, uh, you know, occasionally I'll look after patients who have got one or two amber flags. I've given an example. Somebody the other day prior to lockdown gave us their details clever little strategy I worked out by the way is that we actually as part of their flow of getting to submit a request for an appointment or getting to know us better um, we asked for their details twice one point on the journey at the very beginning and the second point where they're actually arranging a uh, I have an online scheduling software which is called Acuity Scheduling or Calendly is another one for example so they'll arrange a, a phone call with me at a certain time and they have to input their details again in there and if somebody inputs their email address differently from one to another or their phone number's got one digit different for example um, I will receive those bits of information together and I'll kind of have a little flag in my head that goes hmm why is that person putting their details differently from one to another and sometimes it's because they're just a bit kind of on guard about you which is understandable they put in a digit wrong because they were kind of like mm, I don't really want them to phone me but sod it I'll have to I'll have to put my number in because they're forcing me to put my number in kind of thing do you follow Interesting, so that would yeah. be a little amber flag for me just a subtle one but I would skip my skim over it I'd have it in my head and I'd go mm, not sure but okay um, and coming to where you what you're asking at the end of phase one you know a lot better which flags the person still has or hopefully they're all green flag patients and if they're ready and they trust you and they like you and you have good camaraderie and you like being around them that's the point at which I'll offer them would it um, what would you like to do next how would you feel about um, spending some time with us so that we can look at things in more detail? Or quite often what they're doing at that point is they're going, what can I do next? Can we move on to the, when can, when can I have the crown on that tooth? Or when can I have the, and you know, that's the point which you know you've got somebody who really gets what you're doing. You can also at that point assess whether they're suitable in terms of their hygiene and this. And, you know, and then you can properly itemize a treatment plan that makes sense. But I don't at that point for phase two onwards, the point I was trying to make before is that I don't at that point onwards give them an item, itemized um, step by step per crown, per this, per that. And the reason why is because if you go to BMW and you want to buy a car, BMW don't tell you how much the wind mirrors cost. Mm. They don't tell you how much the windscreen is. They don't tell you how much the alloys are. You might actually choose optional extras for certain things, which is fair enough. You can do that. But I provide a flat fee, the fee to achieve complete stabilization of your health and achieve all your goals, a smile you're proud of, or however, however you want to pitch it, is this. Is that a panky thing? Yeah. I knew it because that's exactly how Hap does it as well. My my uh, principal Hap Gill, uh, who uh, for a long time he needs to, uh, he needs to get onto the podcast, but for sure. Um, but uh, yeah, it's, it's how uh, Hap taught me to do it as well, actually. So it's interesting. Do you like it? Do you think that makes I sense? Do, I, do, I do like it. Yeah, I do like it. And the reason why Jazzy, the reason why I like it at that point is because the the fee, the total fee at that point, doesn't make any odds to that patient. That patient, remember, is a different entity to the patient that you were entertaining at the word go when they didn't know anything about you. They weren't sure about you. They didn't care about how much you say you are nice and how you say your, your treatments are comfortable treatments and so on. Because they now know it and they like you and they trust you. And then at that point. Really, the conversation isn't about the total fee. It's just about affordability. 
and that's when you can go, okay, well, how about if, um, how would it sound to you if we divide it up on a payment plan, blah, 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 blah. And that's when you can offer different solutions. Because if they've got an objection at that point, it's not the total, I promise you. It's how it fits into my budget. Brilliant, which leads really nicely to my final question is that many dentists struggle talking finances, something I struggled for a long time. And I don't think I'm, yeah, I don't think I'm quite there yet. I think everyone's got a certain number. Beyond that number, they start getting, oh, actually. What does Link Harris say? Is 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 it the discomfort number or something like that? And I think it's... the fear number, discomfort number, something like that, yeah, where you yeah. start thinking, oh, actually, you doubt yourself or whatever. Hey, I used to be scared in VT or DF1 of, of um, when a patient used to ask me, so how much is an implant? And I used to start with, but we don't, well, we don't do them here, but. <laughs> it's like, not my problem, not my problem, not my problem. I promise it wasn't me. And then you go, but, well, about 2,000 plus? And in your head, you're like, mm, two and a half, really. Um, and people just go, huh? You know, they're bulk of the bulk at the price um, have you ever had a patient laugh at you when, when you've given them a price no actually why have someone happened, laughed at you that's oh, happened jazz. to me in the, during my DF1 oh, I want to give you a hug this was, uh, <laughs> no no but the, 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 during DF1 during DF1 uh, a patient uh, took his tooth out and afterwards uh, he, he was a non-English he was a refugee we, we sort of bonded because I'm also okay. a, a refugee I came to the country when I was six years old and oh, he's a refugee sob story and, all the time uh, Jazzy always I know, what can I say but, but uh, yeah, anyway so he, he was a cool guy but then um Look, he was NHS exempt, and I took yeah. his tooth out. He says, "Okay, how much do I have an implant?" And I said, sort of like you, uh, you know, uh, just over two thousand pounds, whatever. And he actually just started laughing. He was like, <laughs> "He was like, wait, two thousand pounds?" Like, <laughs> he just literally started laughing. And you know what I did? What? Laugh I started him. laughing as well. <laughs> <laughs> it is contagious, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah. That's happened to me. That was a, you know, that was a really awakening moment for me. He's like, you know what? <laughs> I need to actually take ownership of what we charge as a profession, not just only because not because I didn't do implants at the time. I still don't uh, sure. want to do, but I need to value the care that you provide. So when a patient, that kind of patient laughs at you, there's yeah. a, they don't value what you have to offer. Exactly. Nail on head. They don't value because they probably don't understand. And one of my favorite questions to ask back to them without being a politician is, well, what do you understand by a dental implant? Oh, it's screw. when they're screwing things. <laughs> it's just Meccano, blah, 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 blah. Um, and then you kind of, you're basically I get it in putting, India. Uh, much yeah. <laughs> you're so foreign right now. I love it. <laughs> Brexit. Tell you. Um, anyway, so. Um, so overcoming. Oh, yeah. Okay, so about how, how to help young dentists talk about money. Okay. Well, um, it all comes down to the, the value that they, the patient places on X result. And if you're skillful at it, you don't talk about the thing because patients don't buy quarter inch holes. They they sorry they don't buy quarter inch drill bits they buy quarter inch holes they want a solution they don't want the thing that makes the result happen so they don't care what you're going to screw into their jawbone don't say it like that um but they, they're not interested in the acting and the act of doing it and how long it takes necessarily some people will but but really they're interested in the end result so that end result might be so that you can chew on this side of your mouth comfortably Uh, evenly so that all your teeth touch when you chew which may reduce your chance of chipping and breaking and blah 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 of other teeth in future it will be important that we do da 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 and the procedure for that will be blah 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 you know benefit feature procedure statements as we said on the other podcast how do you start getting comfortable about money well um i was scared about yeah and do you know what there's a certain gravitas that happens over your career which is why you shouldn't run before you can walk which is that at the beginning of your career, you look like you've got pound signs in your eyes. 
because everything's expensive to you. And the reason why is because you were probably receiving a student loan of a thousand odd quid or something, maybe 1500 or whatever it is these days uh, per semester. And um, that's a lot of money to you. And the reason is because it's within the context of your life. But if you start to explore what a patient believes um, is going to achieve that result for them, what it involves, how many steps it might take, um, and then you start to demonstrate it, which might be photos, videos, testimonials of people's results or a photograph of somebody uh, somebody being you know ecstatic about the result or whatever, um, then you can kind of go, okay, and and to achieve this result, it will be important we do this. Then then you're actually starting to get a bit more value. But I appreciate that in that straight off the bat, give me the answer, that moment is actually quite a treacherous moment. I think the more, t the more times that you uh, have that moment in your career, the more you realize that it's not about that number, just like you said, it's about giving them the care that they want and they deserve in a, in, in, and doing the dentistry that you love doing. And eventually the money becomes a side thing. It's all about how you can, how many people's lives you can transform sure. uh, and making work for you know, being fulfilled. But you need to appreciate that we are in an industry where you are right at the beginning. You said we're, we're exchanging our time, our skills for something at the end, which is money. And we yeah. need to be mindful of that. Sure. And, and it really is, without being too fluffy about it, it's all about knowing what you're worth. But you don't know what you're worth until you really understand your why and you believe it. Not believe it because you're faking it, but you believe it because it's really true. Beautiful. Oh, I was not hearts and minds at the moment at the end there. You like that? Are we um, ending on that? <laughs> I think I think we have to end on that, my friend. Any any closing comments? I love that. Uh, I, you answered all the questions that I wanted to, to ask you. I think um, the listeners got a good grasp of what the uh, presentation um, involves in your case. And we talked about a couple of examples. We talked about the Riaz Yahweh, but we also talk about um, the way you do it and the differences. And the, what the listener might take away is they might find their middle ground or something that they find most comfortable for them something that's yeah. coherent with their yeah. existing environment absolutely and it's going to be it's going to be um a, a combination because we're all the patchwork quilt you know come full circles what we said at the beginning there's nothing wrong or right about my method or riaz's or whatever it's just what suits me from the demographic that i look after where i pitch myself in comparison to other people out there because you know they are a reference point it has to be that way um uh, but if you believe what you believe because it's true, because you're being true to yourself and not just because your mate, you know, that you graduated with does it a certain way, um, then, you know, that's what's going to really come across with true gravitas and, and you'll be valuable. Your hourly rate, though, isn't the reason why. Beautiful. Love it. Thanks so much, Zach. We we'll always appreciate you having you on, Welcome. mate. And no uh, trouble, buddy. Uh, uh, until the next episode. Well, there we have it, guys. Thank you so much for listening all the way to the end. Uh, do check out that ebook on the Protrusive Dental Community or on the website. Uh, and of course, uh, I'll put all the show notes up on the website as well. Of course, the full video will be on protrusive.co.uk and, and on dental tubules if you want to get uh, CPD or CE if you're part of tubules. Uh, otherwise, a few teaser episodes will be available on Instagram as usual. So thanks so much for staying all the way to the end and I'll catch you in the next episode which will be with Dr. George Cardoso and it'll be about crystal clear treatment plan letters uh, and how to really make them stand out and how that can be such an important part, but it's, it's actually the next episode will be very much a continuation of the themes that we discussed today. So if you enjoyed today, you will love uh, next week as well. So I'll catch you next week, guys. Thanks so much for listening.